Hey, welcome this morning. There's a couple things as you came in this morning that we're um, trying a little bit something a little bit different. Um, you should have received or you could have received a half sheet handout and it has all of our fill-ins this morning. So I want to encourage you if you got that, um, you can follow along. Message notes help keep, helps keep me on track and it'll help keep you on track. So grab a copy of that. Um, hopefully you got one. Also, too, um, there's a little test. Um, it's a pride test. Um, this morning, really, the theme of our, our, our passage in Daniel chapter 4 is Nebuchadnezzar and the pride that he had in his life. And really, the truth is, listen, folks, we all struggle with pride, you know. It's just a matter of where do you struggle with pride in your life? Where do I struggle with pride in my life? Sometimes that pride is in a form of, it's a, uh, in, a, in a positive way in the sense of, oh, I, you know, I feel like I'm just so smart or I've got money or I've got resources and I feel like I'm so much better than other people. Other times the pride manifests itself in a negative way, like, oh, you know, everybody else has it so much better than me and I, why don't I have that and I deserve that and I want that. And, you know, so we all struggle with pride. It's just a matter of where do you struggle with pride in your life? Um, I wanted to share this. I didn't share this first service, but um, C.S. Lewis in a book called Mere Christianity, he said this. He said, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We all struggle with pride, but pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only having more of it than the next person. Or I would say, or pride is only not having as much of it as somebody else, having as much of something as somebody else has. We all struggle with pride. The question is, is where do you struggle with pride in your life? This morning, the title of the message is um, The Diary of a Mad King. You know, only twice in all of Scripture do we have words that were written by, um, by non-Jewish or non-Jewish people. Um, one is in the New Testament, um, the gospel writer Luke uh, was a Gentile person. That means he wasn't Jewish. Um, some theologians think that Luke was an Hellenistic Jew, meaning he was a, uh, a God-fearer, God-father like a Jewish person. Uh, most people don't think that. Um, but in the Old Testament, we have this chapter this morning in Daniel chapter 4 of a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. We've read a lot about Nebuchadnezzar over the last couple of weeks. And this is his diary this morning. How many of you, just out of curiosity, how many of you kept a diary growing up? Raise your hands really, really high. Really, really high. Because I want to call on you about your diary. Okay. <laughs> Andrew Wilson, the only guy in both services that, were, that was brave enough to say he kept a diary. Way to go, Andrew. I think that diaries are great. You know, I think that diaries are something, you know. Um, now, let me ask this. If you raise your hand, how many of you would like to share a little something from your diary this morning, anybody? Well, yeah, of course not. Nobody's going to share, right? Yeah, okay, no, I don't share anything. No, don't share, Brandy. People put that on Facebook, right? So listen, so this morning is the diary of a mad king. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. We know this. And chapter 4 tells us his diary, the things that he wrote about, the things that he experienced in his life. Um, if you remember... Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 4, it's about 30 years in difference from Daniel chapter 3 to Daniel chapter 4. Um, 30 years about have passed between these two chapters. And you've got to remember that Daniel, who was the author of most of this letter other than this passage, 
Daniel um, is probably in his 50s at this point in time. He's been a captive in Babylon for 35-plus years at this point in time. God has done a lot of work in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And um, he's given Nebuchadnezzar dreams. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about a dream that he had this morning. Um, God's done miracles in his life. Remember chapter 3? Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown in a fiery furnace. Some of the principles we talked about last week. Listen, if you have a conviction, whatever you stand for your convictions, oftentimes you're going to be persecuted. It's one of the things we talked about last week. We talked about how God is with us in the midst of a trial in our life. God hasn't forgotten you or forsaken you, but God is still with you in the middle of that trial in your life. So those are some of the things, the principles that we talked about last week. But this morning... We read, we're going to read uh, Nebuchadnezzar's diary. And in fact, you know, um, I don't know, I can't remember exactly when we picked this series. It was summer, midsummer sometime, and the guys and myself were talking about what we're going to do in the fall. And I felt like the Lord laid upon us Daniel, uh, Daniel to study this fall. And it's great this morning that God lined things up perfectly for me to talk for just a couple minutes about the elections on Tuesday night. Because do you know that without any question, with 100% accuracy, Daniel chapter 4 tells us who is going to be elected on Tuesday night. 100% accuracy. No questions about it. We can know exactly. And I, I had no plan. I didn't plan on talking about this. This is just where God led us, and this is exactly where we're at. Daniel chapter 4 talks specifically about Tuesday night and Tuesday night's election. And it guarantees us who is going to be elected president. So you're going to see about that in a couple of minutes. You're like, wow, really? It's true. So let's read this. There's four lessons I want us to learn about pride that we'll get through at the end of Daniel. But I'm going to read through the chapter because it's God's word, and I feel like we need to hear from God and understand the context of what's taking place this morning. So remember, this is 2,600 years ago. Daniel's been in Babylon, right, for... 35-plus years. He's 50 years old at this point in time. He's been serving the king faithfully for all these years, even though he tries to throw his friends into a burning fire, even though he tries to tear people from limb, limb to limb. And so this is what we read. Again, four lessons that we're going to read from. So Daniel chapter 4, follow with me for a second. King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race, every nation, and language throughout the world. Remember Babylon at this time. It's about 900 miles away from Jerusalem, modern-day uh, Iraq. And it was kind of the empire of the world. Nebuchadnezzar's leading this. He thinks everybody wants to know what is happening to him. He should have had Facebook. It would have been much easier. And he writes these words. Peace and prosperity to you, all people of the earth, right? I want you to know all about the miraculous signs, the wonders, the most high God has performed for me. How great his signs are. I want you to know about how, how powerful his wonders. His kingdom will last forever his rule through all generations. He says this, and now all of a sudden, Daniel, or Nebuchadnezzar, transitions into his diary, and he's going to tell you about a dream he had. He says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, this is the second time we've read about dreams in the book of Daniel. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace in comfort and prosperity, uh, at ease and at rest. If you look at those words a little bit deeper, he's like, I was at ease and I was at rest, and life was l luxurious. It was, I had everything I could possibly want. Of course, he's the king. But one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me as I lay in my bed. So I issued an order calling all the wise men of Babylon, sounds familiar, so they could tell me what my dream meant. 
Now remember before in Daniel chapter 2, he had a dream, but he told them, he said, hey, I want you to tell me not only what my dream means, but I want you to tell me my dream. And if you can't tell me what my dream is, then I'm going to do what? Tear you from what? Right, tear you from limb to limb. Nebuchadnezzar seems to maybe have matured a little bit here because he doesn't say that. He says, when all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and fortune tellers came in, I told them the dream, but they could not tell me what it meant. At last, Daniel came in before me, and I told him the dream. He was named Belshazzar after my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said to Daniel, I said to Belshazzar, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too great for you to solve. Now tell me what this dream, what my dream means. This is the dream while I was lying in my bed. This is what I dreamed. I saw this large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree was very tall and strong and reaching high into the heavens. All the world could see this tree. It had fresh green leaves and it was loaded with fruits for everyone to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade. The birds nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Then as I lay there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, probably an angel, right? Angels were messengers. I saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, and all of a sudden the messenger's going to speak inside the dream, cut down the tree and lop off its branches, shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit, chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump and its roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, what in the world does this have to do with us? Say, keep going here. Now, let him be drenched All of a sudden, the messenger switches and talks about a person. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field. For seven periods of time, now most people think, most theologians think that it's probably talking about seven years. It could have been seven days or seven weeks, but they think it was probably seven years because of the circumstances. For seven periods of time, let him, this person in the dream, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of a mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the Holy One. Now, I I put this in in highlights, and we'll come back to it. Because verse 17, you see this phrase, not once, not twice, but three times in Daniel chapter 4. And whenever you see something multiple times in the Bible, God is trying to call your attention to something. He wants you to really notice this, right? And all of a sudden, this messenger says, so that, he says, um, it is commanded by the Holy Ones so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. Hold that thought for just a second. Go back, Jesse. Again, three times we're going to see this. The Most High God Rules over the kingdoms of the world. God gives these kingdoms to anyone he chooses. Even to the lowliest of people. Like the person that you don't think should be president. Don't tell me who it is. But whoever it is. Because like, yeah. I can give the kingdom to that person if I choose. Go on. Belshazzar, that was the dream. That was a dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now tell me what it means, for none of my wise men of my kingdom can do it, but you can tell me, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belshazzar, was overcome 
for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belshazzar, don't be afraid by the dream and what it means. Belshazzar's like, well, I I wish the events that were foreshadowed in this dream would have happened to your enemies, my lord, but not to you. And we'll come back to that. Think about that. He's captive in the king's palace for 35 years. And he's interpreting the dream. He knows what God is saying. He's like, oh, king, I wish this wasn't going to happen to you, but to your enemies. I don't know about you, but, man, if I was held captive by somebody, if the king had ruined my city, tore down my walls, destroyed my temple, and all of a sudden there's this dream about bad things, I'd be like, yes, you deserve it. I mean, have you ever felt like that? You know, you knew, you knew something was, you know, something bad was getting ready to happen to somebody, and you just were like, yes, kick them while they're down, right? You guys and nobody else. Okay, well, that's how I feel. <laughs> the tree you saw growing was very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green. He's just, he repeats the dream back to them, Okay. Um, it says, you saw this messenger, verse 23, cut down the tree, destroy it, but leave the stump and its roots in the ground. He repeats the dream. You know, let, the, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals of the field for a period of seven years, or a period of seven, time of seven. This is what the dream means, King Nebuchadnezzar, your majesty. And what the Most High has declared will happen to you, my Lord. You will be driven away from human society. Now, there's, a, there's an actual technical word. It's called um, zoanthropy or zoanthropy. And it's an actual clinical diagnosis where people are delusional. This has happened enough time that there's a clinical term, zoanthropy, that is given to people who are delusional who think they are animals. Like, this is common enough that there's a term prescribed for this or given to this. Daniel's like, you're going to be driven away, and you're going to eat grass like a cow. You'll be drenched with the dew of heavens. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn. Here's that phrase again. Until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and that he gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and its roots of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have, time, when you have learned that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, please, please accept my advice. Listen to me. Stop sinning and do what is right. Remember verse 4? It says that Nebuchadnezzar was living in luxury and comfort and he was at peace. Nothing was bothering him or troubling him. He had everything he wanted. And Daniel's like, Nebuchadnezzar, you are living in the middle of sin. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. (laughs) We'll come back to that, but have you ever had God warn you about the sin that was in your life? It's like, oh. I wonder this morning, God's putting his finger on the pulse of your heart right now. 
And he's warning you about the sin in your life. But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, he was taking a walk on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon. It's like 12 months. God warns him about the sin. Daniel's like, Nebuchadnezzar, repent. Turn away from the sin in your life. Stop doing what you're doing. 12 months goes by. Nebuchadnezzar does nothing. Talk about God's patience and his graciousness and his goodness. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but if someone cuts me off, I don't even give them 12 seconds, let alone 12 months. And parents, have you ever warned your kids and said, you better stop doing this. I'm going to give you 12 months to get your act together. <laughs> Who has done that in here? I want to know. Anybody. None of us do that. We don't give anybody 12 months. <laughs> 12 months goes by. He's on the roof of the flat of his palace looking out. He looks across the city and he says, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, all of a sudden Nebuchadnezzar takes the glory that was meant for God and ascribes it to himself. By my own mighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. All these words were still in his mouth. A voice called down from heaven. Once you hear an angel talking, speaking, once you hear Daniel talking, speaking, all of a sudden a voice calls down from heaven. It's 12 months later, the dream has passed. Nebuchadnezzar's like, oh, this is not going to happen to me. I have nothing to be concerned about. I have forgotten about God once again. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven away from, from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals, and you will eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn. For the third time, Nebuchadnezzar, that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world, and he gives them to anyone he chooses. God's sovereign. God's in control, Nebuchadnezzar. And you are not. That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled, and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow. He was drenched with the dew of heavens. He lived this way until his hair was as long as an eagle's feathers, and his nails were like, bird, like bird's claws. After this time had passed, Nebuchadnezzar looked up to heaven. He repented. My sanity returned. I praised God and I worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting. His kingdom, not my kingdom, is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to God. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven. God does as he pleases among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? Now, I want you to remember that verse right there, verse 35. Wednesday morning, when you wake up and you are so upset and angry about what happened on Tuesday night, I want you to remember and say this. What do you mean by doing these things? God, what are you doing? Who can say these things to him? Why would we say these things to him? Because we think we know so much more or we're better than God that we know what should have happened on Tuesday night? 
No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? But my sanity returned to me, and so did my honor, my glory, and my kingdom. My advisors, my nobles sought me out, and I, as I was restored as the head of my kingdom, with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glory and give honor to the king of heaven. Rather than taking it for myself, oh, I'm so incredible. I praise and glory and honor the king of heaven. All of his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. There's four lessons I want you to learn. I want you to take away this morning. They're on your notes. There's a couple fill-ins here. Okay. Lessons from a mad king. Number one is this. Pride makes you think that you are in control. Pride, arrogance, makes me think that, God, I am in control of my life. I can control my husband. I can control my wife. I can control my kids. I can control my circumstances around me. Control is a pride issue in my heart. That I want to control, and I think that I am in control of my life. Again, those two passages of Scripture I thought about, verse, you know, verse 17, 25, and 32, it says, God is the one who causes kingdoms to rise. God is the one who causes kingdoms to fall. He gives the kingdoms of the world to anyone whom he chooses. What God does is he pleases among the angels and the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say, what do you mean by doing these things? Do you know who's going to win on Tuesday night? Daniel tells us. You know who's going to win on Tuesday night? That's right, whoever God chooses. So why would I complain or worry? Because I'm not in control. Whoever God wants to win is going to win. Because God is in control. Matter of fact, in the New Testament, I think Romans 13, verse 1, I'm not sure if we have that. The New Testament even backs this up. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 13, verse 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. Except for when it comes to speeding. So beyond that, everyone, even that, I'm working on it. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by who? By God. I wonder in your life this morning, what situation in your life do you need to surrender to God? Pride makes us think that I'm in control. And humility says, no, God, you're in control of this particular situation that I'm struggling with in my life today. God, I'm going to surrender it to you. I'm going to ask that you'd work and that you'd move, that you'd have your way. What situation do you need to surrender your life this morning to God? I think finally Nebuchadnezzar needed to surrender his kingdom, right? God, your kingdom will last forever. Secondly, I think pride blinds us to the needs of others. You know you struggle with pride when you struggle with control, and you know that you struggle with pride when you struggle with the needs of others in your life. Nebuchadnezzar had everything, but he was totally oblivious or unwilling to take care of the needs of others around him. He's living in comfort and luxury, prosperity. Daniel's like, Nebuchadnezzar, you know, repent. Be kind and gracious. 
take care of the needs of others around you. Break from your wicked past. Be merciful. That word merciful, um, it's interesting. One of the definitions of that word merciful in the, in the Aramaic that's written in is to, is to be, a, to complain. To complain. And it's like this, when you see people in your life that don't have a lot, that are struggling and that are in need to complain for them, to champion their cause, to raise them up and to elevate and to do something about it. Pride blinds us to the needs of other people. I think pride blinds us to the needs of forgiveness, offering and surrendering forgiveness to other people. You know, again, in Verse 19, it says, upon hearing this, Daniel was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. The king said to him, Belshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. If I had been Daniel again, I would have been so thankful that God was going to crush King Nebuchadnezzar. But I think Daniel had forgiven the king. I think he had forgiven him. He had offered him that forgiveness. And he was no longer holding that against him. Although King Nebuchadnezzar had torn down Jerusalem, torn down the temple and all the walls and all these terrible things had happened. Are there people in your life that have hurt you? That have caused pain in your life? That you are unwilling to forgive them. Now, I want to tell you something. I'm going to remind you something this morning that, that forgiveness in loving other people is not necessarily trusting other people. Somebody say amen to that one? Because I can forgive somebody but not trust somebody. Right? And so I wonder about that. Is there somebody in your life this morning that you need to be generous to? Somebody in your life that you know that they have need in their life. Nebuchadnezzar was like, the pride blinded him to the needs of other people. Daniel was a humble person, and Daniel offered forgiveness and served the king out of his own humility. And I wonder if there's somebody in your life this morning that you need to be generous to. Third thing. Pride often makes us resistant to feedback. You know you struggle with pride. When people try to speak into your life and you won't receive the feedback that they want to give you. Right? We see this in all these verses here. Daniel goes to the king and he's like, king, listen to my advice. Stop sinning. Twelve months later, the king is walking on the roof. He hasn't done a thing about what Daniel has spoken into his life. Hebrews 12, 8 says, if God doesn't discipline, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children... It means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. There are probably times in your life when you feel like you're like Nebuchadnezzar, you've been cut to the stump. Like there's just a stump there. But you, did you notice how there was that iron band around that stump that God was still there and God was still protecting Nebuchadnezzar? Scriptures replete with passages like James chapter 1 and Romans chapter 5 and 1 Peter that God uses hardship 
to discipline us and to mature us in our lives. Pride in my own life makes me resistant to hearing feedback from other people. And again, I wonder if there's something that God is warning you about this morning in your life. Is there a sin issue that even right now the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind and warning you about? C.S. Lewis said this, that God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Finally, last thing. Pride. I think we see in this passage that pride tricks us into taking credit. Nebuchadnezzar's like, he stood on his balcony. He's like, look at all these incredible things that I have done. The pride in my life makes me, it tricks me into taking credit for how good my kids are. The pride in my life takes me, you know, tricks me into taking credit for how well I'm doing at my job or you on and on and on and on, right? Oftentimes that pride tricks me into blaming other people when I see areas of my life where it's not, life is not happening the way that I want it to or expect it to. And it's just easy for me to blame everybody else around me. I wonder this morning, what inflates your pride? The positive things? Your intellect, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your position, your prosperity, your performance. Does that, does that elevate your pride? Does that, does that feed your pride? Or maybe it's the negative things that you don't do. You look at other people, you're like, oh, man, that person is such a loser. I would never do these things. I wouldn't do that. All you're doing is measuring yourself, elevating yourself, evaluating yourself based upon the sin of somebody else's life. Patting yourself on the, uh, oh, I'm such a, I would, I would never do that. It's not so much the things I, I do, it's the things I don't do. Those are the things that inflate my pride. Last question. Where are you tempted to stand on the balcony of your life and take credit or to look out and to blame other people? I want to encourage you today. Take this handout. It's two parts. One part, you'll, you'll get a friend. It'll be Ed and I this week are going to get together. And I'm going to fill out one part for myself. And then I'm going to fill out the other part for Ed. And Ed's going to fill out one part for himself, and he's going to fill out the other part for me. And then we're going to get together, and we're going to have tea and crumpets. And we're going to say, hey. He's going to say, hey, Brad, where do you struggle with pride in your life? Let me help you out. You thought you were so encouraging to other people. Man, actually, I find you're really critical of other people. We all struggle with pride. It's just a matter of where we struggle with pride. 
And then as God reveals that, I'm going to pray. I'm going to say, God, would you help me be an overcomer in this area of pride in my life? Would you reveal those things to me and I repent of those things? And I'm going to begin to practice generosity and a reliance upon him versus a reliance upon myself. I encourage you, take the test this week. See what God reveals to you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much again this morning for the story of Nebuchadnezzar. We're never, we never hear from the dude again. That's it. Wrap it up. But thank you, Jesus, that there was a change in his life. He went through some horrible years, ordeal. But God, there was change in his life. Father, may we not have to learn hard lessons like Nebuchadnezzar. But may we be responsive this morning to the Holy Spirit as you speak to us and as you warn us about sin in our own life, as you warn us about the pride in our own hearts, areas may where we've been, we've taken glory for ourselves that belongs to you, times that we've maybe been judgmental and critical and condemning of other people around us, we've blamed others. Jesus, times when we have complained about what you're doing in the world because we didn't trust you. And that God, you're in control, we're not. Help us to trust you this morning, Jesus. And may you root out the pride in our lives this week. And finally, one more thing, Jesus. Jesus, give us the strength to be like Daniel to be forgiving towards those around us who've wounded us, who've hurt us. Help us to pray for their best and to believe and to ask for their best. Help us to be forgiving and to put the past in the past, Jesus. Being wise about relationships with people who've hurt us in the past and going forward, but being loving towards people like that. Jesus, we can't do this without you. That would be prideful to try and do it without you. So we acknowledge this morning that we can't do this without you. We depend upon you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.